Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. For years, BetOnline Sportsbook had all of your odds, props, promos, and parlays for whatever sport you can imagine. However, this week is the first time ever BetOnline Sportsbook has a basketball in-season tournament. You can use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, with the link in the description of this episode, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Take that 50% welcome bonus and bet on the in-season tournament. You could take Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers, the New York Knicks, Dame and Giannis in Milwaukee. You've got the Pelicans. You've got a duel between the Suns and the Lakers, the favorites in Boston, or my pick to win it all, my hometown, Sacramento Kings. Light the beam, bet online, where the game starts. When talking about the new coaching search in Carolina, here's what Carolina Panthers' David Tepper had to say. I would like someone to be here 20, 30 years. I'd like to have someone say the eulogy at my funeral in 30 years. Okay, maybe 40 years. That's David Tepper talking about what he wants in a head coach. What he doesn't want in a head coach is Frank Reich, who he fired this week, the second consecutive year that David Tepper has fired a head coach midseason. It was Matt Rule a year ago. Chris Tabor is going to be the interim coach for the Carolina Panthers. Has not been a good year for Carolina. Traded all this draft capital to go out there and get Bryce Young. And they have one win to show for it. And no first round draft pick next year to show for it. Carolina's a mess. David Tepper's a mess. Is this a toxic situation for any incoming head coach moving forward? Carolina's a mess. David Tepper's a mess. Yes. Conclusion. Yes, this is true. They are absolutely a mess. I think we can chalk this up as a as a dysfunctional ownership group. I usually say not all ownership changes are good ownership changes, although the, the previous owner of the Carolina Panthers had some some iffy stuff going on there. If you want to Google why Jerry Richardson had to sell his team. But it is an improvement in the sense that David Tepper is not that. But the way the team is run has just been awful for six years now. I mean, ever since the decision to move off of Cam Newton, they just can't make a good decision. They can't make a decision that a a big decision that goes in their favor. It's like every decision they made is at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. It didn't match a plan. I don't believe they have a plan in how to rebuild this thing. And, And now, This is probably the most jarring example of a team that's been making mistakes more quietly over the past few years because this is kind of the beauty of the NFL at times. When you win six games, it masks a lot of your futility, right? Like the Carolina Panthers in the first four years of the Tepper regime, they finished eighth worst in the league, ninth worst in the league, seventh worst in the league, ninth worst in the league. Like they were consistently five and 12 or five and 11 every single year in the early Tepper regime. I remember in Tepper's first three seasons post-October, I think they went like three and 27, but because they won those stupid three games with Sam Darnold to start the season or those stupid three games with Kyle Allen, they would never get the draft positioning to pick a Trevor Lawrence or pick a Justin Herbert. And, And they would always find themselves on the outside looking in of a top quarterback while they continually just tried to chop away at getting to five or six wins every single year, bringing in Teddy Bridgewater and bringing in Sam Darnold and thinking they were just a piece away, even though they clearly weren't just a piece away. And also paying Matt Rule the highest salary for any college coach coming to the NFL and giving him a seven-year contract. That was clearly a mistake on the part of Tepper and the ownership group. They've just, they've made so many dumb mistakes And now the most recent ones of trading away Christian McCaffrey at the time that you did and then trading all your draft capital for the number one pick and then drafting Bryce Young over CJ Stroud, despite the clearly smoke where there's fire rumors 
that Frank Reich wanted CJ Stroud over Bryce Young and Tepper traded up forcing them to take Bryce Young and Tepper is a meddlesome owner and there's been whispers about weekly meetings between Tepper and Frank Reich and Tepper giving instructions for how he thinks Reich should turn the team around. There's there's just been so many mess ups that it's hard to keep track of some of them at this point with the Carolina Panthers over the last five years. I think the mark of a good owner generally is one that sits back and lets his football people do football decisions. We've seen some of the best owners, obviously Robert Kraft, a very hands-off and letting Bill Belichick run his team and his organization, and it worked out for him. Uh, Jed York, I think when he went wrong a lot with the Niners, especially in the Harbaugh firing, was that he was too involved. He was too involved in the Chip Kelly, Jim Tom Sula decisions. As soon as he hired Kyle Shanahan, he sat back, let him and John Lynch do his thing, and he was fine as an owner. Now, Tepper, he seems like he's pretty set in his ways, and he seems like a very impatient guy that it kind of makes me wonder if he can even live up to his own quote here saying, I want to hire a guy that's 20 or 30 years. And I don't know if he's the type of guy that can reasonably back off of a situation and let his guys do what they need to do. Like he feels like the type of guy that wants to be too involved in every single move. Hell, he didn't even allow them to trade Brian Burns last year when the Rams were offering multiple first round picks. Think how much of a difference that could have made for the Carolina Panthers as they move forward. Again, the worst kind of tanking is one where you don't even have your draft pick and you're still terrible. They, 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 They really have bungled this decision as a whole. And if I'm, again, a prospective coach, because we're looking at this year's coaching market, I'm looking at Carolina as the worst job in football right now. You literally fired two coaches back to back years before the season even ended. I have a quarterback that I'm locked into that I don't know if he could even make it through an NFL season with his size. I, you know, I dismissed early on the size stuff of Bryce Young, but the more I watch or tune into Carolina Panthers games and see him on the field standing next to the superhumans that make up the league, he does look tiny out there. And that should be a little bit of a concern. And there's not like one thing I look at a Bryce Young in games and think he does that better than insert player a insert player b that's concerning that his skill set doesn't seem to transcend the team around him uh this roster as a whole like i I don't know what the gm's status is going to be if he's going to get fired in this mess too but the gm hasn't exactly built a team that you could win with they're one of the least explosive teams in football i want to say they're dead last in plays above 15 yards their offensive line they're like bottom three and pressure rate and it's it just hard to see what you would sell me on if I'm a head coaching candidate um, in this league, other than it's a job. It's a job. I want a job. I'm going to take a job. I don't care if the job security is shit. That's the only thing that really is kind of like going for the Panthers, that there's only 32 of these head coaching jobs that someone's going to get it. But other than that, when I compare it, especially because there might be 10 head coaching jobs open this offseason, the Panthers seem dead last to me as far as wantability. The thing that they do have going for them is the former number one overall pick in the draft who won a Heisman Trophy in college. This is the interesting point with when Trevor Lawrence was dealing with the Urban Meyer stuff. Like, instability can really fuck up your your season, right? And Frank Reich got fired before... Urban Meyer did, which is a crazy sentence to say. They fired Frank Reich before Urban Meyer got fired by the Jaguars. This was the second fastest NFL head coaching tenure of all time. Only Bobby Petrino, I think, exceeded Frank Reich in his run with the Carolina Panthers. So the instability can really mess this thing up. And look, Carolina does not have enough skill position players but the thing that they have is a good offensive line and a good quarterback. Or I'm sorry, not a good quarterback, a rookie quarterback. A rookie quarterback with the number one overall pick in the draft. You say a good quarterback o- who we know has talent. You say good offensive line, but they're also bottom three and pressure allowed, which could also be because yes, of the rookie quarterback struggling to process as well. Yes. Okay, so that's fair. Everything has gone to shit this year for Carolina, but they do still have Ike McQuanu. They still have Taylor Moton. They they have at least the the, the foundation of an offensive line that should be good. They, they've invested lots of capital into that offensive line. Ike McQuanu was excellent as a rookie. They should be fine on the offensive line. Maybe they, maybe they do need to bring in a guard in the interior because... 
that's where a lot of their pressures have been and been beat up the up the middle. But at the same time, yeah, Carolina has some room to improve. Their number one receiver right now is some guy named Jonathan Mingo. I don't know who that is, but that's their number one receiver at this point. Miles Sanders went from the the Eagles offensive line to Carolina and started looking like DeAndre Swift. Meanwhile, DeAndre Swift went to Philadelphia and has started looking like Miles Sanders. So I think that probably explains some of that away from signing him as a free agent. But like, yeah, Adam Thielen wasn't even a number one receiver when he was in Minnesota at his best. He's not a number one receiver that Carolina should be looking to move forward with. And the problem for them is that they're not going to be able to get young players in the draft that help out in that way. They, Like you said, they, they would rather have Brian Burns and no number one overall pick as compared to potentially having the number nine pick in last year's draft and taking, oh, I don't know, Jalen Carter and then coming back this year and having a number one pick in the draft. Like, yeah, Carolina has bungled this thing and they're going to pay... The, the repercussions of making some of those mistakes, but they can always go to the free agent market and sign like Hollywood Brown for $20 million if they want to give Bryce Young some level of support. <laughs> some level of support, Hollywood Brown. Yippee, <laughs> Ray. Okay, well, let's talk about the ideal coaching candidate. So it sounds like, at least if I was to genuinely read Tepper's statement here and say, like, what is he looking for? If he wants a guy who's going to be there 20, 30 years, it tells me that he's searching for someone on the younger side, I would say. So he's probably looking for someone that's more like a first-time head coach. So, you know, guys like Bobby Slowick, Ben Johnson, uh, guys that we've discussed in the past are probably going to be at the top of that list, maybe a Cowan Moore or something. Do you like any of those names more than another? Uh Depends. Like I said, I don't know who makes a good NFL head coach. I thought Sean McVay was going to be terrible. I don't know what makes a good NFL head coach at this point. So I guess I would go through the interview process and find a diverse pool of candidates, even if it means dipping your toe back into the college water. I know they tried it with Matt Rule. I know it didn't work out, but there's not a ton of like must have candidates on the market in the NFL this year. So maybe you dip your toe back in the college water and see what uh, someone like Kalen DeBoer over in Washington feels about yeah. possibly jumping to the NFL. But I like those names. Their names have been consistent with head coaching jobs in the past, like on the periphery. And a lot of coaches got hired last year who were names that pe- that the, that people had been thinking about getting a head coaching job or just the fact that Eric Bieniemy is not going to get a head coaching job. Let's just put that out there. It's just not going to happen for him. So we can kind of stop pretending like it is going to happen. But yeah, some of those names, Ben Johnson's going to probably get if there's going to be 10 jobs open, Ben Johnson's going to get one of them. I wouldn't go so far as to do it, but there's uh, Todd Munkin and Mike McDonald over there in, in Baltimore. Maybe you want to invest in one of those guys as your head coach hell if you're carolina you still have time to make things right you should have hired him in the first place last year there's still (laughs) time to make it right and and make him the head coach you don't have to like dig your heels in further after you clearly already made one mistake you know this kind of reminds me though i mentioned jed york earlier this kind of reminds me of after they fired harbaugh and how the head coaching job was so toxic that it was hard for them to fire anyone and it makes me think that they're going to end up with a coach that they're not going to be completely happy with and it's going to feel like a placeholder it's going to feel like a david Colley in houston situation where you know it's like okay this guy's not going to be here long because again you, we talk about the top coaching candidates I, bobby slow I, I just don't see him wanting to tie his name to it i've heard bill O'Brien's name thrown around as far as this head coaching job already mostly because people are just thinking to themselves well he has head coaching experience and he coached bryce young at alabama so maybe that's a fit and that might be the best they can do honestly like i i just don't know if a first year head coach is going to want to tie a ship to carolina is going to want to tie a ship to bryce young when he doesn't even know if he's a good player in the NFL at this point. And I don't know if like a veteran head coach is going to fit what David Tepper's is looking for in a candidate based off. If I'm again, reading this statement very literally. That is a good point that you make that this might be a placeholder position, but no one wants to take a chance at fixing Bryce young. No one, no one wants to take a shot. At I know it. it's a small sample size, man, but he is not look good. I, I think that that needs to be said, that he himself has not looked good. 
and processing. And I don't know if Frank Reich is a bad coach and just for completely forgot how to coach offense at this point, but at least under the first year of working with Frank Reich, it, it just didn't appear that Bryce Young really had the medal or the moxie to be an NFL starter or a successful 10-year starter like we're talking about C.J. Stroud. And we might look back at that Stroud-Young decision 10 years from now and really, really criticize it in hindsight because just the trade-up mixed with what Stroud is doing right now in year one. And yes, Bryce Young doesn't have the best offensive line. That's that's known that we know that now, but neither does C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud's offensive line is blocking 25th best in the league. C.J. Stroud, Mm -hmm. Nico Collins, Noah Brown, Tank Dell, all very fine wide receivers, but it's not like their skill position group is infinitely better than the Carolina Panthers. Maybe a little bit. I mean, I would say Carolina Panthers, they don't have anyone that really stretches the field. It's bad there too, but I I still coming into the year, I thought they at least had a little bit more to work with than the Houston Texans. And it's night and day. I mean, Houston's a playoff team this year, a legitimate playoff team. Houston is Carolina. Again, we're talking about one win and one win. And even to get that and granted it was against Houston, was a dogfight, a scrap, and an ugly game to get there. In all their losses, they've looked ugly. It's not like we've looked at even a loss, and it's been a good loss. Yeah, and this is the tough part. By the way, you and I have different opinions about the Texans' receiver core, I feel like, because I the Tex- I think the Texans' receiving core is excellent. But besides the point, the Carolina Panthers... I keep making parallels to that Jaguars team that Doug Peterson took over, which is like, how much of this do you chalk up to instability and how much of it do you chalk to Bryce Young performing poorly? Because I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that Bryce Young is Trevor Lawrence. Like he did not have those physical gifts in college. He was a very, very highly regarded prospect, but was not the same level of prospect that Trevor Lawrence was. But besides the point, like Trevor Lawrence rookie season was abysmal but we knew how terrible the Urban Meyer situation was and that he was brutally unhappy and also losing a lot of money on crypto. So like we kind of knew that Trevor Lawrence was down, but we we all believed that we, we threw out his rookie season, right? We just said, yeah. or at least I threw it out and said, ignore everything that happened here. And I'm not doing that with Bryce Young, but I also acknowledge that instability can really, really mess with the development of a quarterback and it's instability brought on by themselves. Like it's not like Bryce young is entering this situation and something awful has happened. No, they, they brought on the instability. They hired Frank Reich when Frank Reich didn't want Bryce young. At least that's the the perception of what we have right now. And they also did not give him skill position play. They actively traded away his skill position players in Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore did not find suitable replacements And like you said, the offensive line was supposed to be good and is not good. So like they haven't given him the support system that he's needed in order to flourish. And I don't know if they'll be able to get him the support system. Like I joked before, their best course of action is to do what Jacksonville did when they just gave Christian Kirk $20 million. Just pay a Cardinals wide receiver uh, an exorbitant amount of money and maybe that'll count as a bit of a support system. But yeah, they have to do a bit of an overhaul. I understand why the job wouldn't be desirable as compared to like Buffalo or Dallas or even the Raiders. But some of these teams that are at the bottom of the league, I guess it's possible that the Panthers do have the worst of the worst jobs. Because like, even Tua Tagovailoa looked bad when he was playing behind the worst offensive line in NFL history. And and we've seen the turnaround there. I'm not ready to write off Bryce Young by any stretch of the imagination. And if you're Carolina, y'all are married together now. You got, give him two and a half years. Who gives yeah. a shit? You don't have any draft picks. You're not playing for anything. Give him two and a half years to work through it. I, I get what, it. What you, yeah. But, you know, it's just like watching what we've seen so far in these games. It's just like, what is Bryce Young's signature thing that he does well? He doesn't have the rocket arm, his speed, his elusiveness. It doesn't seem like it's translated to the NFL. It seems like he's definitely getting caught by these guys with their NFL speed. Processing doesn't seem to be there. And hey, maybe it, maybe we're wrong. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here and maybe by next year he looks awesome if he gets the right coach. It just gain the right coach is a dubious proposition at best, given where this situation is heading, especially if it is a placeholder, because Bryce Young very realistically could have three head coaches in three years. We know how that tends to work out for most NFL quarterbacks. Three head coaches in three years, 
you're done yourself. You're on your next team before your second contract. Yeah, and I guess the thing that Tepper has working for him is that even among the rich billionaire owners, he is one of the richest of the rich billionaire owners. So, like, he can throw money at someone. <laughs> he paid to potentially cash come for this team. Carolina Panthers team. He paid cash when he first bought this team. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit about Frank Reich's buyout, which, by the way, this is just real quick side tangent before I, I go back to Tepper and the Panthers and the head coaching job. Frank Reich is now getting a $25 million buyout from the Colts and a $20 million buyout somewhere between 20 and 40 million from the Panthers in the span of like 13 months. He has played this game, which sucks for him because it's like, yes, you go down as an as a failure as an NFL head coach. But this is a guy who like for like in 2021 was regarded as one of the better offensive minds in the NFL and now his reputation is in the crapper and he gets <laughs> at least 50 million dollars to show for it. Just way to play the game, Frank Reich. Well, well done by you. For Reich, you know, you kind of have to wonder as much as we're crapping on David Tepper and I think it's rightfully deserved, you do have to kind of wonder with Frank Reich. I mean, obviously they were more than happy to get rid of him in Indianapolis too. Does he just rub ownership the wrong way with some of these behind closed door meetings? Obviously he convinced Indianapolis to sign Carson Wentz. That didn't really work out, made him lose a lot of his credibility there uh, with David Tepper. They had their disagreements about the quarterback room and the decision-making reportedly, allegedly, whatever you want to say about the Stroud young decision. And by week 11 we're all right to have him fired you know 11 games by the way i should say also, you mentioned uh, yeah. uh the coaching firing stats actually he, bobby petrino actually did outlast him the only coaches with shorter 10 years are going to be pete mccauley niners nine games george allen two preseason games and bill bowcheck one day with the jets <laughs> <laughs> okay so so the, the niners guy is the one that that breaks the record i got gotcha. you but this is the thing that's interesting now as they decide who the next head coach is. Because for Frank Reich's sake, like, yes, tough break. You'll never be an NFL head coach. Sorry, Frank Reich. It's just not going to happen for you. Uh, but just wait for the University of Maryland to fire their head coach. You can you can go get that head coaching job as the former alum of the University of Maryland and former quarterback. Just wait for them to fire their head coach. You can go take that college job and be very happy if you want a head coaching job again. But besides the point, like Carolina is in that position where I don't think they're going to get a stopgap coach. I don't think the job is that undesirable at this point. I could totally be wrong. I didn't think the Cardinals job was that undesirable and they just hired a one-year stopgap of Jonathan Gannon. But I think Bill O'Brien's a fine head coaching hire. Like this is this is the job for Bill O'Brien if, if you're going to do one. And I know that's not cool. I know Bill O'Brien was awful at the end in Houston, but like he has a reputation that merits a second chance as an NFL head coach. And this is probably the best chance he's, he's going to have to be an NFL head coach and succeed. I, I guess for him, Hey, Bryce Young is probably at least an upgrade over Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. So I'm not going to hold too much against him for his recent return to the Patriots, because I think any OC might've failed given that proposition. Um, but yeah, I guess Bill O would be fine. It just, we, we talked about this off camera before, like some of the head coaching jobs that will be available this off season, the chargers, you know, for the chargers faults, they still have Justin Herbert there. And we know he is a good NFL quarterback. They are in a high profile media market. So the chargers, good head coaching job to potentially end up with the bears. The bears will, will probably be an open job this year. Uh, the NFC the South besides the Panthers too, like the Falcons, who knows what's going to happen there. They don't have a quarterback. That's probably not a great desirable situation, but they do have pieces to work with. The Saints, if you're locked into Derek Carr, that doesn't feel very good for you right now. Uh, their defense is good, but they don't have a quarterback either. So, hey, maybe that's not a great place to end up. The Bucks, that's probably going to be another head coaching job. How does Carolina against the Bucks? They feel about the same, I guess, as far as that goes. I, I guess I, you could sell me on Carolina over places like the Bucks or the Falcons where they don't have the quarterback talent or have at least invested in the quarterback as much. The Raiders, you don't feel great about that one either as far as especially in the AFC West when I consider that job context and the pressure to win there coming off of both the John Gruden and Josh McDaniel tenures. I would say maybe if they're not dead last, they're probably second or third to last as far as my ranking of places I would like to coach if I was looking for a job in the league. The Jets might the thing, be open. The thing, that does, the thing that sucks for Tepper is that he's not even going to be the 
new owner with a ton of money best job on the market because Washington is available now. So he's not even going to be the owner with a ton of money who can just throw money at a co- at a new coach because uh, Washington's also going to be hiring a head coach. Look, the way you say it is like, yeah, there's a lot of bad jobs. There's a lot of bad jobs every cycle. It happens, man. There's just there's bad jobs always available. There, but there's bad there, jobs, there's but some are worse than others. You do, You just have to look at the individual pieces that each team has and say, can I build off of that? Is there at least something, again, like the Chargers? At least I have a quarterback. I have a quarterback, and I can fill out the rest of the team from there. The Panthers, not knowing if you have a quarterback. I would say the the Bears are intriguing just because they have those two picks within the top five. That's going to be very desirable for an incoming head coach because if you want a quarterback or you want to stick with Justin Fields, either way, you have some pieces to work with with that position. Draft picks and what's on the roster have to be calculated when you consider where I'm going. Right now, the Panthers don't have draft picks and they have a bad roster. So it's like, uh, not great. You know what? (laughs) Again, Bill O'Brien is fine. It's fine. As long as he's not in charge of roster construction, Bill O'Brien is fine. I'm not saying it's going to work out the way you hope it's going to. I'm saying you could do a whole lot worse. You know, there will be better jobs on the market. The Chargers job is pretty good, but they're going to do some dumb shit like hire Vic, Vic Fangio or something like that. I don't know. Don't don't worry about what the other people are. doing. I'd actually like, be just... OK if they hired Dan Quinn. <laughs> actually, I wouldn't even mind Vic, to be honest, like they need someone to fix their defense and they can figure out the offensive stuff. The Chargers, yeah, sure. that's a different video. That's a different discussion. Yeah, but. The, but the Chargers the Chargers will do whatever the Chargers do. Like, yeah, you're not going to get the first tier pool of candidates. But I mean, the thing that's the thing that's a problem for the Panthers is that if you want to hire a young, innovative, offensive mind, there's not a lot of those on the market this year. <laughs> there's, there's just not. Like we mentioned Bobby Slowick. We mentioned Ben Johnson. Yeah, those are guys that are young and would be first time head coaches with the possibility of some level of success. And sure, Kevin O'Connell's pop up every year as like random dudes that will work out. But like offense across the league is down like the the best offenses in the league are places that the, the head coach is calling the plays. And you're kind of picking from a second pool of candidates. And by the way, the one exception to that last year was Shane Stetkin, who's having excellent success with the Indianapolis Colts with Gardner Minshew as his quarterback. So yeah, the best of the best teams don't really have that hot coordinator that everyone's going to try and hire. So you're kind of picking from a, a pool of candidates like Bobby Slowick and Ben Johnson, who like they've been calling plays for one season and they've had a level of success. And someone's going to hire them just because there's going to be so many head coaching jobs open. But if you're Carolina, like you can do a lot worse. You can have the the one year stop gap that you're just going to fire. And now Bryce Young's in year three. And we don't really know what we're doing at this point. Like you can do a whole lot worse than Bill O'Brien. I'm, I'm not saying it's a great hire by any stretch of the imagination. But Bill O'Brien's work in Houston merits him getting a second head coaching job. And yeah. Carolina, like I said earlier, it might be the best position for him just because of the connection to Bryce Young and because they they just need they just need stability. They just need stability. And Bill O'Brien, you kind of know what you're getting. He, offensively, it's not the most innovative offense in the world, but we've seen when he's had talented players, he succeeded. And when he doesn't have talented players, he flops. So, you know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll all work out for Carolina and, and Bryce young will have at least a puncher's chance of being a successful quarterback in the NFL. Granted, they need to bring in some more players, but they also don't have any draft picks. So that's kind of going to be a bit of a problem for them, but we'll see what happens. Maybe they surprise us and and go with a completely different route, which take Bill O'Brien or take Steve Wilkes, man. Just do it. Don't overthink it again. Don't galaxy brain yourself out of a top coach or whatever. Like, just get Steve Wilkes, man. The 49ers <laughs> would be fine if you took Steve Wilkes. Just, hey, just another, another draft pick for us. So I guess, yeah, for, for sure. I, I would say, though, I don't know, even Steve Wilkes, like, the Niners fans were questioning him up until he moved to the sideline too. So yeah, it's not like he's a fixer either. So we'll see. I don't but know. But he was he he was already there. He was doing fine. He, he was they, there. They he was like doing four games. He was doing fine. Here's what I would say: I will not begrudge a owner or someone in the front office for wanting to do better than doing fine. They thought 
We're going to get Frank Reich here. We're going to get an offensive mind to pair with our young quarterback, a well-respected offensive mind of Frank Reich. Heck, you remember some people were like saying this one's for Frank, the Eagles players, after they beat the Colts last year during the Jeff Saturday thing. He was still well-respected even at that point from players that he hadn't coached in years. So Frank Reich was well-respected. I do understand the wanting the mindset behind hiring him over Steve Wilkes at the time. It just turned out David Tepper, the most impatient owner in the league, and that's what's cost this Carolina Panthers team. Who do you think is going to be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers next? Who should they target? How desirable is this head coaching job, really? We want to know your thoughts. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. Feels like deja vu once again talking about the Buffalo Bills after an overtime loss, another heartbreaking, soul-crushing overtime loss that dropped the Bills to 6-6. Six and six. They're entering their bye week. Uh, they fired Ken Dorsey a couple weeks ago, and I will say that Joe Brady has done a great job so far with this offense, but it hasn't resulted in the wins and the success that they would have hoped. Obviously dropping a heartbreaker to the Eagles. That could have been a huge win to springboard Buffalo into the season. Now it just feels like they're just stuck in the mud still. Uh, Kyle, what do you make of this Buffalo Bills season, and do you think it will continue a down spiral? Yeah, I mean, the Buffalo Bills have already dropped so many games at this point that it's we have to start considering the real possibility that the Buffalo Bills are going to miss the playoffs. We need to start considering this to be the case because Buffalo has six losses. You have to get to 10-7 and seven to guarantee yourself a playoff spot this year. Maybe 9-8 and eight will get you in on tiebreakers, but you don't want to play the tiebreaker game at this point. So you got to get to 10-7 and seven in this year's AFC if you want to make the playoffs. And the way Buffalo's schedule goes at this point, they're playing at Kansas City still to go. They play the Cowboys at home. Uh, they play the Dolphins the last week of the season. Like, it is crunch time for Buffalo as things stand right now, if they just want to make the playoffs. And it's absolutely insane that they're talking about just making the playoffs because every advanced metric, every nerd stat, every expected win-loss record and SRS ranking and DVOA will tell you this is one of the eight best teams in the NFL. Some metrics will tell you this is one of the five best teams in the NFL. And the fact that they are, by every metric, one of the eight best teams in the league this year and our 10th place in the AFC is absolutely crazy. It's crazy that Buffalo is in a position to not make the playoffs at this stage because they've played really well. They've just found these incredibly frustrating ways to throw away football games that they would have won. And I'm not saying that they're like guaranteed to be the one seed if all goes right here, but like if they don't throw away that first game of the season against Zach Wilson's Jets, if they don't throw away that game against the Broncos and they don't throw away that game against the Eagles, they're at least playing the Dolphins in week 18 for a chance to win the AFC East. The difference between them winning the AFC East and them missing the playoffs is such a thin line at this point in the season. So when we look at the Buffalo Bills, we have to look at, like you mentioned, their strength of schedule and there's a lot of tough games, but you also look at like the teams around them. I look at the Broncos. They have a fairly favorable schedule ahead of them. The Indianapolis Colts have a fairly favorable schedule ahead of them. The Texans, the same. You see, their best chance might be like the Browns, who are obviously have a quarterback issue right now. But they have to essentially, I guess, go two and one in those three difficult games that we talked about, like Miami, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys. They have to at least win two of those games, I think, to realistically have a chance. Uh, obviously, you would prefer those games to be in division, in conference. So you essentially have to beat the Dolphins and the Chiefs, I feel, to really feel good about yourself. If you drop the one of the Cowboys, it's not ideal, but you can work with that one a little bit more favorably. Bills feel like they just have missed opportunities. Like that game against the Eagles, you have the drop touchdown by James Cook. You have the uh, should have been touchdown to Gabe Davis there in overtime that should have won the game. You have Jake Elliott with the leg of the year, that like 60 yard in the rain field goal to 
to essentially steal your hearts. Go back all the way to week one. If you're losing that game to the Jets after they lose Aaron Rodgers for the season, and we know with Zach Wilson, pretty much if they did the water boy strategy of taking a knee the rest of the game, they essentially could have won that game. The Jets weren't moving the ball on offense, and they lost that game. We talked about allowing 30-some points to the Patriots, a Patriots team that will never sniff 30 points probably the rest of the season. They allowed 30 points to them and lose that game. It just Buffalo is just such a frustrating watch that if you're a fan, you have to be incredibly disappointed with this team because you went into the year thinking, this is our year. This could be the Super Bowl window. You talk about the frustrations, too, with this team. Like Sean McDermott, it feels like that might be a high-profile coach to hit the free agent coaching market this year. feels like he's walking on eggshells the rest of the season. Stefan Diggs, that whole situation, it doesn't feel like Stefan Diggs is going to be on this team in 2024. This felt like it. And if they can't even make the playoffs, I feel like that seals everyone's fate in there. People are getting fired. Who knows what's going to happen with even Brandon being the GM, too, because we know that utility at drafting the last few years post-Josh Allen, it, it seems like the Buffalo is really heading for an ugly situation with the way this year has turned out. Yeah, Buffalo did not adapt accordingly, and this is the interesting place that Buffalo finds themselves in because ever since last October, when that when they went into Kansas City and beat Kansas City, from that point forward... Like Buffalo Bills fans had reason to hope because every number told you last year, every advanced stat told you this is the most talented team in football. This is the best team in the league. And they gave up home field advantage. Granted, they did it before the whole DeMar Hamlin thing. So that kind of changed the tone a little bit of that Bills season. But before that happened, that team was giving away home field advantage in the AFC playoffs. And then they lost to Cincinnati in the second round and it felt like a disappointment. And this year's team is not as good as last year's team for Buffalo. I can say that with certainty. This year's Buffalo team is somewhere between the fifth and eighth best team in the league. And last year's team was number one or number two. So they're not as good as last year's team, but they still should have expected to be like as far as they got last year, right? They should have still expected to make the divisional round of the playoffs, even if it meant getting the brakes beat off them by Lamar Jackson. Like they should have at least expected to get back to the second round of the playoffs. And the fact that they're in a position to miss the playoffs altogether is what you might call like scary hours at this point. Cause you're right. Someone is probably going to pay for it. Even if it doesn't fix your problem, like firing Sean McDermott doesn't fix your problems. The problems have been so wide ranging in each of their losses, which by the way, you know how annoying this season has been when I forgot that they gave up 30 points to the Patriots early in the season. That's like the fourth dumbest way that they've lost a football game. I should clarify 29. I just saw the real number. It was 29, but still that's a lot for the Patriots. We've seen this Patriots team. They scored seven points against the Giants this past week. That Patriots. I I don't think I, I don't think the Patriots have scored 29 points in their last 50 offensive possessions. I think that's a real stat. I'm not 100% sure, but they had like seven against the Colts, seven against the Giants. Like they might not have 29 points in their last 50 offensive possessions. But Buffalo's in this position where, yes, people are going to pay as a result, but they don't have a plan. For how to move forward. The whole point of this was just we're going to go all in while Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs have this window open. And if it turns into not just a disappointment, the biggest disappointment of any football team of the last five to six years, there has not been a team this good that has missed the playoffs in at least the last six years. The closest there's been to that was the 2021 Ravens. But at least we could explain away the 2021 Ravens. It was they went for two-point conversions that didn't work twice, and that flipped one-possession games from wins to losses. And then Lamar Jackson got hurt, and they went 0-5 with a backup quarterback. Like, at least we can explain that one away. This one, there's no one thing we can point to that says this is what's wrong for Buffalo because the general manager didn't hold up his end of the bargain once Josh Allen signed that contract extension. Uh, they they have not coached well. They fired an offensive coordinator already. Their defensive coordinator retired at the end of the season. And by the way, Josh Allen is turning the ball over like nobody's business. So like there's been so many different reasons why they've lost so many different games that there is no one thing I can point to and say if they correct that, then this will be the result that comes of it. And that's kind of a tough position to be in because just firing people for the sake of firing people like Sean McDermott I don't 
think is the answer that's going to solve all their problems. The problem is Sean McDermott obviously is in charge of hiring the people. And I'm sure he even has some say as far as the personnel that they bring into the room. So he does have some culpability as far as to how this team is assembled and how this team performs on game day. And they weren't performing under Dorsey and he allowed the Dorsey experiment to go on longer than probably should have. We look at, again, the player personnel issues. And, you know, you could say some injuries as well. Obviously, Von Miller, when they lost him, he was their big free agent acquisition last year. That hurt them. And two years consistently of Tredavious White being injured is not good for a team that's trying to compete at a high level. But again, just the miscues inside the game. And Josh Allen, talk about giving culpability. Yeah, his turnover issue is incredibly infuriating because we look at that interception that he had in the Eagles game when they were still up that allowed the Eagles to kind of get back in there that essentially allowed, I think, what was it, that Jalen Hurts has had three touchdowns and like five passes, something insane like that. And that that was really the turning point whenever Josh Allen threw that pick that allowed them to just do a quick 14-point swing on them in that game. Josh Allen has hurt this team too. Like his decision-making is atrocious. And it's something that unlike some of the other top quarterbacks that we we discuss, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes and everything, doesn't put his team in bad positions with the turnovers. Lamar doesn't put his team in bad positions with turnovers. Jalen Hurts, he has the turnovers, but, you know, you got to give Jalen Hurts the credit that, like, he's able to will his team to victory. A fourth comeback this year, one of the biggest comebacks and one of the biggest games of the season. And Josh Allen... People are pointing out the 0-5 or 0-6 overtime stat. That's real. That That's something, yeah, it's a small sample size, but it's all we got to work with. So 0-6 in overtime games, 0-5 in overtime games, whatever it is. The fact that Josh Allen doesn't win in that scenario, I think, is kind of starting to speak volumes the more and more it gets put under the magnifying glass. Well, it keeps up with the theme of this season, right? Because what have people been saying all year about Travis Kelsey, right? Is that Travis Kelsey's distracted by his famous singer girlfriend? Well, I can look at Josh Allen and say, Josh Allen is distracted by his new famous singer girlfriend that is keeping him away from paying attention to football, right? That's the explanation that everyone needs at this point, right? Right. That'll explain away all of Josh Allen's problems for the entire season. Wink, wink. But no, the, the Josh Allen has been fine this year. And the thing that's crazy is like, even with all the turnovers, he's still putting up one of the top five passer ratings in the NFL. They're still the third ranked offense in the NFL. Like Josh Allen is not playing at an MVP level, but that that still doesn't mean the Buffalo Bills should be six and six, right? Like you, you talked about the schedule earlier for the Colts and the Broncos and, and the Texans and the teams that are like right in that mix fighting for the last playoff spot with the Bills. But the thing that the Bills have going for them that other teams don't is that the Buffalo Bills are just better than those teams. Like the Buffalo Bills are just a really damn good football team that happens to be six and six at this point in the season. And Josh Allen is part of the issue. Sean McDermott is part of the issue. Uh, the organization appears not to be run very well because they lost two coordinators and all of a sudden the whole shit fell apart. So like, I don't know exactly where Buffalo goes from this point forward. And you mentioned the injuries. That's obviously part of it too. Matt Milano being out for the season was a big deal for them. You mentioned Von Miller coming back. They're they're putting Leonard Floyd at the other edge rusher position, which has worked great, but Leonard Floyd is obviously a temporary stopgap for Gregory Rousseau, who hasn't been the piece that they hoped he would be. So yeah, I mean, there's so many different things at play here for Buffalo that there is no one clear and concise way forward, but the well-run organizations have a vision for how to turn that thing around. And recent history for Buffalo would suggest that they don't quite have that plan to turn it around like how the Baltimore Ravens did it, where the Ravens missed the playoffs in 2021, and it was hugely disappointing. And they doubled down on Lamar Jackson, the player they knew was really, really good. They brought in two brand new coordinators. They brought in an entire new wide receiver room. And when they did have the one season, they missed the playoffs. You know what they did? They drafted an all-pro safety with that draft pick they got from the season that that Lamar Jackson was out, and they missed the playoffs in huge disappointment. So like from all phases of the organization, they stepped up and and supported Lamar Jackson, and now they're back to being one of the best teams in football. Buffalo's got similar issues they have to correct, and it doesn't look like they're off to a good start in correcting those. So what's your gut feeling? Do they make the playoffs? I'm going to say no. 
I'm going to say no, because the, the Dolphins have the opportunity to do the funniest thing ever at the end of the season to knock the Buffalo Bills out of the playoffs. But you got to get to 10 wins, man. And 10 wins from them this point forward is 10 and seven. Like they've they've pissed away too many games. And this has just kind of been a theme for Buffalo for the last like 13 months is just pissing away games that they should have won. But they they've dropped too many of these and they have a 15 percent chance of making the playoffs at this point. They got to jump so many teams. And if one of them gets to 10 and seven, I think it might be curtains for Buffalo if they're at nine and eight. They have the five remaining games, right? So Chiefs. If we give them a loss there, they face the Cowboys the next week. I'm, I'm going to at least be generous to say they go one and one. They face the Chargers, another team that has coaching issues, and who knows what uh, Brandon Staley is going to be by that point. They could be two and one in that stretch. They could go three and one if they beat the Patriots. And then you have the Dolphins game, which we know what they did to the Dolphins earlier in the year. But Dolphins, I, I feel like they have to be have that game like bookmarked as something that they need to get their revenge in their own way. There's four and one possible. It just they have to beat a team that is considered a tough team here. They have, to, I mean, if they could come out of the bye week and beat the Chiefs, then we're we're talking about this team completely differently, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think there is a chance that they still make the playoffs. It's just the odds, the the, the probabilities right now are fifteen percent chance. They have a fifteen percent chance of making the playoffs, and they can't drop another one of these stupid games. Like that's the biggest thing for Buffalo right now. They just can't drop another one of these stupid games because they probably have to go four and one. And I think they can go four and one. They just can't drop a stupid game the rest of the season. And I know we just kind of chalked up a win for Dallas in there for them. And and they might go into Kansas City and win. They did it last year in the regular season. They could totally go into Kansas City. And I won't win. put them as Owen. But I, I struggle to put them as Owen two in that stretch just because The Cowboys, we've seen them obviously crush all these like middling teams throughout the course of their schedule. But whenever they face a team that is considered good, you talk about at least a top 10 DVOA team, they haven't looked as good or as proficient. So I think that Buffalo still can get that win. It is going to be a dogfight. It's going to be a close game. But I feel like Buffalo, I still like them in that game, oddly. Yeah, I mean, say that's the coin toss game and maybe it's a, maybe it's not a 15% chance Buffalo makes the playoffs. Maybe it's a 30% chance that Buffalo makes the playoffs. So- because, oh, you know, you, you say 10 wins, right? So let, let's talk about some of the other teams in the mix. So the Browns, can they get to 10 wins with PJ Walker or Dorian Thompson Robinson? They have to really win on the backs of their defense. The Steelers, I know they have a Cardinals game coming up here. They could, they'll probably be eight and four after this weekend. I feel like they're on pace to get to 10 wins, especially if their offense performs like they did post Matt Canada. Uh, the Broncos, they do, just, they do just have a cakewalk schedule for the most part that I feel like they'll be able to exploit to at least get the nine wins. I feel like they have at least three more wins in them the rest of the year. And then you talk about another team in the mix. I, I think the Texans are just good. So I trust the Texans, I think, are going to win like at least three more games. It might actually be nine wins. I don't know. Nine wins is not, might well, not be crazy to make the seven seed, at least, which is not the no. standard that Buffalo should play up to, but still. Nine might get you the seven seed, but then you're playing tiebreakers, right? You don't want to deal with the tiebreakers. Ten wins guarantees you a playoff spot. Like You will be in if you get to ten wins. You might even get the six seed if you get to ten wins. But there's a there's a good chance that you have, you know, say Steelers win 11, Cleveland wins 10, whatever. And then you have uh, Denver at nine, Houston at nine and Buffalo at nine fighting for one playoff spot. You don't want to play that game of tiebreakers to get you into the playoffs with three teams at nine and eight. If you get to 10 and seven, it guarantees you a spot. If you get to nine and eight, either you're out or you're at the whims of the tiebreakers. And that's not great odds if if you're down to tiebreakers with three teams who play in crappy divisions. I think that they're in a position where 10 wins is going to guarantee you a playoff spot in the AFC. And maybe they'll fall ass backwards into a playoff spot at 9-8. and Maybe that's the win for Buffalo, is that their strength of schedule will win them a tiebreaker. But I wouldn't feel good about being 9-8 and and making it in this year's AFC playoffs. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Falcons are 5-6 and and going to backdoor their way into the playoffs in the NFC. (laughs) But in the AFC, you have to probably get to 10 wins to make the playoffs this year. Well, does Buffalo make the playoffs? That's the question that we're trying to answer here today. Schedule does feature the Chiefs, Cowboys, Dolphins, three tough remaining opponents. 
What do you think Buffalo finishes as? Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. Another team has dropped in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes expansion pack. Now we're hearing from Jeff Passan that apparently the team north of the border, the Toronto Blue Jays, is interested in acquiring Shohei services. Kyle, what do you make of the Blue Jays getting involved in this? How about that? Toronto's going to get into the Shohei Otani game, but which is I've always been interested by Toronto as a team because it feels like if Shohei Otani goes there, it's not going to have the the giant dramatic expectations. But like quietly as it's kept, Toronto has consistently been a team that's had money available at their disposal, has drafted well over the years with multiple general managers, by the way. Their, their old general manager, Alex Anthropoulos, is now with the Atlanta Braves. So they've drafted well amongst multiple regimes. They've developed players. They have a superstar for a generation in in Vlad Jr. I know that baseball has a new generational superstar every year, but like three years ago, Vlad Jr. was the shit. And now he's still there. They have young players. Uh, George Springer is still there, obviously, in the fold. But even though they have all these points, it feels like they don't have the same expectations as you might expect from a traditional contender. And if Shohei Otani went there, I feel like it would be just kind of nice for him, you know, like they'll, they'll be competitive every year. He'll make a bunch of money. There won't be the the pressure of trying to compete. Uh, it, it's kind of fun that Toronto's getting in this this big money baseball game because the last time I think they were in on a big money free agent was either Hyunjin Ryu four years ago or George Springer five years ago now. Now, there is something I want to red flag that you said, though, that non-pressure to compete. I thought that's what Shohei wanted. That's why we were talking about teams like the Rangers and the Dodgers, Braves even at one point getting involved in this. So the Blue Jays, if they're just there to kick back and sign Shohei Itane, is that really what he wants? I, I feel like that's more the perception, right? Like the Blue Jays feel like they are there to compete. The Blue Jays feel like they have a team that's underperformed the last two years, and it's why they've tried every path they could find to try and make upgrades it went from signing Hyunjin Ryu to the pitching staff to then trading for Jose Berrios to then signing Kevin Gosman and that one actually being the best of the three options to improve their pitching staff they've tried and tried to find ways to improve the pitching staff and to improve the bullpen and it just hasn't worked the way they hoped it would obviously they've made the playoffs a couple times and they were a nine to one lead away from eliminating the Seattle Mariners back in that wild card round a couple years ago. But it feels like Toronto's underperformed expectations and no one's really like, wow, this team is such a crazy disappointment. So so maybe that's just more the perception of expectation more than it is the actual expectation, because if they sign Shohei Otani, does that instantly make Toronto the favorites in the American League East? I don't feel like that's the case, as it might be with uh, the other three teams or even four teams that we've mentioned so far in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. Well, that's the tough thing, obviously, about baseball. One player making a team the favorite exactly if they're not already a team with a proven track record of success, because obviously we don't see teams like the Rangers coming most years. You know, they just kind of come out of nowhere. The Blue Jays, though, they would be a better team, obviously, with Shohei. If you can keep him in a lineup that does include Vlad Guerrero Jr., as you mentioned, and Bo Bichette, there's actually been some rumors and speculation that both those guys may be on the trade market, mostly because of a comment that Mark Shapiro, their CEO and president, said that they want to keep payroll about the same as last year. Obviously, if you sign Shohei Otani, payroll will not be the same as last year, so you got to unload a lot more money. They're losing $59 million, but that might not be enough to cover like what you would expense having to pay Bichette, Guerrero, and Shohei Otani in the same lineup. You mentioned, obviously, Gosman is a high-priced free agent for them as well. They're still paying George Springer. So they do got a lot of money invested in this team. It begs the question on whether or not they can uh, afford to stay around that same price point that they want to in their budget while also taking on Shohei's contract or like what other cuts would they have to make to make that happen and would the team still be good if they did decide to make that happen what I do find fascinating about Toronto is a unique advantage that they have in theory over every other team in the MLB they're the only game in town for the country 
of Canada. That's something unique that they could definitely sell. And for an international superstar like Shohei Otani, I doubt that he would have some of the reservations when it comes to having to go north of the border. He doesn't care. He's already out of country as is to play whatever team is offering the most money. Um, in theory, he should be okay with. Uh, now, again, this goes into that whole East Coast, West Coast team that we've been talking about as well. Toronto, obviously, we know they're well within the AL East. So that would be a change of some of the preferences that we've learned from Shohei Otani and talked about in previous videos. But I do think that they are a fascinating contender. And hey, Rogers Center, we know what that could do for hitters. We know that hitters blow up when they go Rogers Center. Uh, Jose Bautista, that three-year run whenever he went to the Rogers Center is one of my favorite. Hey, he gets more games at Yankee Stadium each year. So the hitter Shohei would love going to Toronto, I think. I feel like there's a interesting trend developing in the Otani sweepstakes because now the the three teams that are most at the front of the line for Otani happen to be in three of the five largest media markets or like markets in terms of size of population in Major League Baseball, being obviously Los Angeles with the Dodgers, uh, Dallas, Texas with the Rangers, and now Toronto with the Blue Jays. And I think that's interesting because you mentioned that the Blue Jays potentially wanting to slash payroll and the Blue Jays potentially being interested in cutting back some salary, whether that means trading Alejandro Kirk or uh, trading Bo Bichette. Obviously, I, I, w- I want to clarify, not cut back payroll, but keep it about the same. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Obviously, last offseason, they did exactly that when they traded away Lourdes Gurriel Jr. right before he was coming up on arbitration in exchange for Dalton Varsho. And while Dalton Varsho is a really good defensive player, I think that's going to go down as one of the worst trades of last offseason for Major League Baseball because Lourdes Gurriel went to Arizona, immediately blew up into not just a better player, but also a phenomenon with the purple hair and everything that made him exciting. And the Diamondbacks went to the World Series, but also like the Toronto is in an interesting position because Shohei Otani prints money, right? This is the whole thing that the Angels were getting out of it is like, well, we might not get trade value back for him, but we'll also be printing money for as long as he plays for this team because of the attention that comes to him. And it makes sense why he'd be interested in going to one of these larger media markets as opposed to say... Well, I shouldn't say San Francisco because San Francisco is a larger media market, but they've they've chosen three of the five largest cities in Major League Baseball by which to to move forward. And I think that's interesting if those are truly the three favorites that are interested, because I trust Jeff Passon's information on this. Very little has been leaked out around this story. And, you know, if the Dodgers and Rangers are consistently at the top, we know those teams are the front runners, but if we're going to go so far as to say the Blue Jays have a legitimate chance, maybe it's just to drive up the value, or maybe there's a, a real possibility that Otani ends up in a surprise destination after all. It is interesting, the teams that kind of disappeared over the course of this speculation, the uh, Giants, Like I feel like after the first week, I haven't heard much about them, but Giants fans and Giants Twitter is still very much talking about him. The Braves seem to completely fallen off of the map in this, this discussion. The Chicago Cubs, we heard the report that they're going to offer a very lucrative deal, but other than that, haven't heard much from them. And then the New York teams, you talked about getting into the, some of the biggest media markets, haven't heard anything from the New York teams or publicly putting out there. The speculation has mostly been from the sports books as far as putting those teams in there as far as top five contenders for Shoei services. And Boston really was just one report and that was it. So I I think that the fact that the Blue Jays are very vocal in it is huge. Again, this could be very much the Kawhi run for the Toronto Raptors. We saw that the entire country of Canada banded together to support Kawhi Leonard after they won that championship. So that could be a selling point. If, if you're Shapiro and you're trying to sign Shohei Otani, I would just say, you know, hey, let's put this photo out there of Kawhi with those like crowds of people in his sunglasses holding a championship. That's the vision. That's what you could do. Is there any drawbacks to Shohei potentially having to learn French, though, going to Canada? Toronto isn't necessarily in the French part of Canada, but a couple phrases will do you good, right? Otani already is balancing two different languages as it stands living in America. So so throwing a third in there sounds 
<laughs> pretty spicy. Uh, you mentioned some of the teams who aren't in the the running anymore. Uh, I told you the Cubs were just going to get in there just for the sake of saying that they were in on the Otani game. The Cubs wanted their name out there and then just vanished from the conversations so that their fan base wouldn't get upset at them. Giants, like we joked, we've, we've seen this story before for the Giants, right? We've seen the Giants try and get involved in a big money free agent. There was never a world where the Dodgers with their infinite resources and giant television contracts were going to let the Giants get into a bidding war against them. The Giants have just faded from the conversation, just like we expected. And the Red Sox were never a serious contender to actually land Otani because the Red Sox are in last place and bringing in a new president of baseball ops uh, and a team that is probably a couple years away from consistently contending. I know they made the league championship series a year ago, but consistently being at the top of the league is probably a, a stretch for Boston at this point. So those teams faded away and it, it wasn't the craziest stretch to see those teams fading away. Cause like we said, from the beginning, it was Dodgers and Rangers were the two. Those are the two that make the most sense. They're consistently linked to. And I think at the end of all of this is a pretty good chance. It'll be one of those two teams. All right, guys. Well, Blue Jays now in on Shohei Otani. What does this mean for the free agency sweepstakes for the two-way superstar? I'd like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. Leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social medias. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.